This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 128, and I am interviewing Gloria Lucas, body positive activist and founder of Nelgana Positivity Pride, about the impact of historical trauma on the mental health of people of color, why diet culture is colonial mentality, and so much more. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 128. Before we begin, I want to give a shout out to... Juju Fishy, who left this awesome review. I'm so grateful for Summer's commitment to sharing her message with all of us. It has undoubtedly helped me shape my own fearless approach to life. Love this podcast. Thank you so much for that review. It means the world to me. You can leave a review for the show by going to iTunes, searching for Fearless Rebel Radio, then click ratings and reviews and click to leave a review or give it a rating. This helps others to find the show and the information that you're learning here. You can also subscribe to this podcast via iTunes or whatever platform you use if you haven't already done so. And that always helps others to find the show too. Lastly, don't forget to grab the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. And you can find all the links that I ever mention here at thebodyimagecoach.com. That'll link you directly to my website if you can't spell in and in. Today's guest is Gloria Lucas. Gloria Lucas is a body positive activist, punk feminist, entrepreneur, and a public speaker. In 2014, Gloria started... Nalgana Positivity Pride, a Chicana Brown indigenous body positive organization that focuses on the link between historical trauma and eating disorders. After personally struggling with an eating disorder, Gloria's work has been featured in the Huffington Post, Me Too, Bitch Magazine, and The Body Is Not an Apology. She lives in Los Angeles with her boyfriend and their cats, Pepita and Mr. Orange. I learned so much from this episode. I feel like this is one of those episodes that we should all listen to over and over to really really pay attention to and learn from everything that Gloria is talking about here. This conversation is way overdue. And I'm really, really grateful that uh, she took the time to be on the show today. Check it out. Hey, Gloria, welcome to the show. Hi, yay. (laughs) I'm thrilled to have you here. I was saying I've been meaning to reach out to have you on the podcast for a while because I've been following your work and just learning so much. So I'm really, really thrilled to have you here today to, to share some of the work that you're doing and, uh, and just talk about a lot of the topics that you that you talk about on your on your social media. Thank you for having me. Good. Well, I would love you to tell our listeners a little bit about your story and why you started Nalgana Positivity Pride. Well, my story is very much like a lot of other uh, 
women of color that struggled with, with an eating disorder. So I recall struggling with depression as early as nine. By the time I was 10, I had um, binge eating tendencies. By the time I was 17, I developed bulimia and I didn't have any support. No one was advocating for me. I didn't even have the language to talk about this matter in my family. So I struggled alone and I stayed like that for a few years, feeling a lot of guilt because I was a feminist organizer and I just felt like a hypocrite and I just felt like fraud, you know, Um, because here I am advocating for women's empowerment, but behind closed doors, I'm still, you know, struggling and caring about body image and not feeling like I have any sense of control with food. And so that happened for a few years and I just got tired of it. And I knew I had to do something about it. And overall, my recovery was something I had to do by myself. I had many obstacles to get treatment. One was no health insurance coverage. Then once I did have health care coverage, I my hours at work were very, were very difficult because they changed and they were odd hours. So the hours that Kaiser worked for the eating disorder program did not always fit mine. So yeah, and you know, I just I just had to do this by myself, which is not anything that that I suggest or recommend to anybody because it, it's very dangerous. Um, but unfortunately, that's the story of a lot of us. Where this is, it falls onto our own hands, and we have to figure it out as we go. Mm-hmm. And so, what prompted you then to start Nalgona Positivity Pride? I feel that once I learned about historical trauma and how much sense it made to me and how I connected to it and gave me a reasoning behind my disordered eating, I felt the need to tell other people. So I have a background of sexual health education. So I was, you know, adjusted to public speaking to some sense. And I just said one day, I'm going to do a speaking tour. And... I just went on and I gave talks about the connection between historical trauma and modern oppression with eating disorders. And that's just how it happened. You know, I didn't have no long-term goals with it. I did not know what it was going to become. And yeah, and then one day I'm like, oh, I could, I have this idea for a t-shirt. So I did a, a punked out Miss Piggy that reads beat eating disorders. Mm-hmm. So that was my first shirt. And then came more shirts. And then came the social media. And it just grew to what it is right now. And, you know, like I always say, I, I had no models. I had nothing to be like, oh, I should do it this way because there there wasn't anything. <laughs> so yeah. I just had to grow with it. And take it step by step. And sometimes it's still like that. I sometimes still don't know what I'm doing because again, there, there's nothing I can base myself from, you know? Right. And so what would you say is the overall mission of, of Nalgona Positivity Pride for people who aren't familiar with the work that you're doing? So how I describe Nalgona Positivity Pride, it is a Chicana Brown indigenous body positive organization that focuses on the education and support for 
people of color that struggle with eating disorders. So we have currently three programs. Um, one is Trencitas, which is our youth program that focuses on pretty much what uh, MPP is all about, body image, and speaking about it through the lens of people of color. We have Sage and Spoon, which is our monthly peer support group for people of color and indigenous peoples with disordered eating. And then we have Teco Miel, which is our women of color monthly circle that focuses on body image. Mm-hmm. And then I do public speaking um, where I cover a lot of ancestral knowledge with eating disorders. And then I'm very active on social media. So those are my, my three things. And, and, you know, my overall goal with MPP is for people to have some sense of support in a sense that they are not alone, because that's how I felt. I felt yeah. very, very alone. It's a very isolating experience. So what I wanted is just to create some type of platform so people of color, their voices, our voices could be heard, that we too struggle with this. And our experiences require specific needs that mainstream eating disorder world and mainstream body positivity does not cut. Mm-hmm. So that is that is my overall goal. Yeah, so I, that, I would love to talk to you about some of those specific needs. And I, and I guess something that you talk about a lot, which is historical trauma. So can you talk about, you know, for people who maybe don't even know what that is, but specifically how that impacts it? impacts the experiences and recovery for for marginalized individuals. So historical trauma has pretty much been studied on any group of people that have experienced political subjugation. So for instance, for the Holocaust survivors, I think the beginning studies of historical trauma started with the survivors and the children of the survivors. And Maria, Dr. Maria Yellowhorse Braveheart is actually the person that has studied historical trauma within the Native American community. And she explains historical trauma as complex collective and intergenerational impacts um, that resulted from colonial oppression and and it it affecting a specific group of people. So pretty much is traumas and deprivations that past generations in our lineage have gone through and how they affect us today genetically, environmentally, or like the behavior that has been passed on. And, you know, the specific features of it, it includes psychic numbing, depression, identification with the dead, a self self-destructive behaviors, which mm-hmm. could be an eating disorder and reenacting affliction within one's own life. And I mean, there's more. And I feel that each group is 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 different. And what makes it much more difficult for somebody like myself with Mexican indigenous ancestry is that sometimes the stories are not there. But we carry the, these, these injuries in our bodies, you know, um, but we just know that they exist. And yeah, so historical trauma led me to understand not only myself and as, and why I had an eating disorder, but it helped me understand overall my, my family, why my family was so chaotic. And then it also helped me understand my community, why my community was hurting so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, if 
usually how this is like our mental health issues are are the issues that we face with poverty and, and discrimination the blame is always put on us not looking at the legacies of racism and colonialism right and so yeah um that's pretty much historical trauma in, in a nutshell. Yeah. And so I can see like this, this feels so relevant right now with what's happening with the, you know, zero tolerance policy in, you know, at the border. This just feels very like that is what is happening right now. So it's, yeah, it, it's something that I don't think is really discussed in eating disorder spaces at all or even you know mental health spaces or even the body positive yes movement. i mean and i feel like these two things are so related but it takes people like myself who are directly impacted by by this to make connections right because privilege does not allow a lot of people to realize how this is this is so di- so it, it's directly linked to body positivity because the fact that our bodies represent as less than human, as we're seen as animals, we're seen as rapists, then that informs us that we are less than and therefore of hurting our, our body image, hurting our self-esteem. So the fact that, that a lot of these people in the body positive movement cannot see that, then it makes me question, then what what is your body positivity about? Is it just feeling sexy in your jeans? Is it taking selfies? Like, okay, that's great but if we're not really shaking the foundation foundations and the systems that are really really impacting us with our bodies then i think it's pointless right um mm-hmm. and, and you know this country has a history of separating families very violently during slavery how it affected the black community and and you know we're being separated from our families in our own lands this was our land first Mm -hmm. um so it's just a big fuckery you know that i have to live in fear for my family that lacks legal status because pretty much the the detention centers are worse than jails they don't even have clean water the children are being put in cages the kids are asking for their parents they're pretty much being exploited into doing some type of labor where they only get paid what cent so um yeah, it's 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 pain. It's it it's hurting us mm-hmm. so many. I mean, I was just having a discussion about this last night that sometimes we can't even talk about it because it hurts. It hurts because my family is at risk of being separated and being put in in the place that's worse than jail without me being able to do shit. Yeah, and um, the transgender women undocumented transgender women dying in these detention detention centers without no justice. I mean, yeah. So it, it just, it just, it is enraging, right? Yeah. That it, that I feel so alone with this and having to talk about this, about our humanity. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but yet I, and, and, and the same thing happened with DACA, the, the week DACA uh, was being attacked, and not, I did not see not one body positive person in my circle post anything about it. And I, I mean, that week I was losing my shit because that impacts my family. Um, and particularly a, a family member that has a disability. Right. So it, it, it's, it's yeah, 
it's horrible and it just it it just it just sucks that there's no solidarity mm-hmm. um, with people who are not directly impacted by this and um, for those of us that are yeah it it feels like it just further um excludes and you know marginalizes people that the movement is supposed to be uplifting and speaking and giving voice to yeah yeah i, I pulled one of your quotes that you wrote y'all like a bubbly chubby girl up until she opens her mouth and talks adamantly against fat phobia racism and dieting y'all want easily digestible body positivity that does not shake the same institutions that are really killing us right i think that sums up everything (laughs) that you're saying here right (laughs) yes yes and i mean with me speaking so adamantly about diet culture within these last few weeks i've lost like i think about now 300 followers really um yeah yeah and it's true like it feels like people just want this bubbly chubby happy person all the time in social media and I can't be that Mm -hmm. I physically cannot be that and I will never be that because as long as diet culture exists as long as Uh, anti-blackness exists as long as colonialism exists then i cannot just live happily in my body i can't right doesn't matter how many selfies i take doesn't matter how many fat kinis i wear it doesn't matter how many followers i gain and i mean let's be real let's look at all the body positive people that have tons and tons of followers their brand is just you know very over the surface um body positivity not really addressing the real shit <laughs> that is hurting us. Yeah. So yeah, I, I and and this is something that um that I I've been struggling with lately is that I feel like they my followers only want me to be you know very cute and I I, I can't I can't be that and I won't. Yeah. 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 You you like what do you feel like needs to be done to decolonize body positivity? Well, I just feel like. I know me, me and you before uh, we started uh, recording talked about our our journeys and how, you know, we've done a lot, we've doing a lot of learning, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I'm currently doing is I've, I've just really been thinking a lot about even the term decolonizing, and how much of its use is 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 um, maybe not the best for me to use at times because decolonizing I mean people have died in order to decolonize, right? And I mean, there's many forms of decolonization, um, but I feel for me, in order to make body positivity work is by giving a platform to indigenous peoples from this land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's what we need to do. They need to, uh, we need to give them the mic and let them determine, you know, what, when is that needs to happen. I think more importantly is realizing that we are more than just our bodies. And I think it's, it's, it, you know, unlearning, unlearning to see ourselves in the white lens. Um, that to me is, is, is an effective uh, body positivity. And, 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 you know, I feel too that white folks, can also engage, for the lack of a better word, in decolonization by going to their roots before Christianity, um, to their European roots, right? And because many times what I see is white folks 
doing the decolonization that indigenous people are doing, but that that I don't find that to be the the way to go about this, right? Because then they're co-opting a movement that doesn't necessarily pertain to them, that actually their ancestors caused to indigenous people. So right. they, white folks need to do their own their own type of unlearning within themselves, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, yeah. You just said a lot of things there that I have to process over and over. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, no, I think it's so. So I guess like in terms of what needs to happen, like, is it even is it is there even a space for a white person to talk about this stuff? Like how how can they go about doing that to effectively support you and other people of color? I feel that the most important thing is for that one person to go into their community and educate others. Take away that labor away from us because we're tired, um, right? And, and many times I see like, I mean, this happens within our community as well, but people being like, well, I unfollowed her or I just don't engage with her no more, being that they have a problematic views or pro- problematic um, behaviors. But I just feel that no, you need to engage with those people because that racist older auntie you have might be the one calling the cops on black people for just doing regular things, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. we we could cut people like that, that hurt us because it impacts us directly. But for white people with other white people, like, no, you have a labor to do there mm-hmm. that please spare us, you know, because we... There's just so much for it to get to, to be done that we can't do all of it. So that would be the, the first thing. I think second second is that uh, people need to do a lot of listening, more listening than anything else. And then support us in ways that we're asking to be supported. Because the way I seek support might be very different than the way another person might seek support. And sometimes people don't want any support from white folks. And right. that's freaking valid. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, that absolutely. Is so valid. Mm-hmm. So I think more than I think just being listeners and then and listening, you know, and, and, I, and I made that post recently about like, you know, just telling, uh, talking about like, I'm not for everybody. Right. And just like everything in my life, I can set boundaries. So that includes social media. You know, and if I'm asking folks to not bring pro-diet rhetoric or healthism in my page, then that means don't bring it up in here, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So, but I did say, like, if you're willing to sit here with me and let those uncomfortable feelings emerge and try to learn, then hop on in, you know, like you're, you're more than welcome, right, to join me in this and confront these phobias, Right. Or, or um, these prejudice ideas that we might have. Mm-hmm. And I ask that for white people, too, is that to sit with those uncomfortable feelings because you get to feel uncomfortable for a little while. But we continuously face obstacles and we continuously get rejection and we continuously get, you know, so look at that and just sit in those uncomfortable feelings. Mm hmm. I, it's it's something that is really important to me in terms of just try, trying to do better and just, you know, really listening and, and reading through the comments and and just allowing those things to 
to you know marinate and i'm really grateful for people like you who take the time to to have those conversations with others and uh, i certainly know for myself personally there's ways that i can definitely continue to do better to support to, to support people like yourself and so actually will you mention like you can support people in different ways what is the best way to support you for me it is i'm happy when people share my stuff I'm happy when people support my work by paying me for my labor. I come from the belief that women of color, our work needs to be honored and paid, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And once in a while we do campaigns of like right now I have a wish list in Amazon where I'm like, I need these books to continue my own education. So that's one way. And then I have a paper. Patreon page where people can become monthly uh, sustainers of, of my of my work and so but I mean if I think that more importantly it's it's, it's like what I mentioned earlier is to do that unlearning oneself and mm-hmm. to bring that back to their families or to their other white friends or their other white problematic friends you know yeah um, I think that that that's very important I think it's really easy to be passive and non-confront non-confrontational when it doesn't have a direct impact on you, but it's, it, it, that's, it's not a way to live. <laughs> you know, we have to, we really have to think about other people and empath- and empathize with others and try to advocate for others. Right. Right. Um. So you, I mean, you mentioned like a lot of people have, you know, left your page. And one of the, one of the posts that you shared recently was diet culture is colonial mentality. And so I I love you to elaborate on that statement and just explain the depth of that a little bit further. I just feel that restriction and hunger is aligned with colonialism. And uh, when Europeans arrived on what they consider this new land or new world, they would not eat certain indigenous foods because Europeans came from a culture where food was very performative. Like, for instance, the elite would not eat um, vegetables that grew from the floor. They would eat mainly, you know, um, uh, fruits that came from above the ground because they believed that uh, um, there's filth in the floor right Mm. so food was a very performative thing um and they literally believed that food shaped the colonial superior body so when they came here they would not eat certain foods for instance they would not eat guinea pig which is what indigenous people would eat in south america and still eat because they felt that if they ate guinea pig then they would turn like them meaning what they considered Indian or, or, or less than. Yeah. So this whole idea of you are what you eat, which is very aligned with healthism, you know, it's, is, is colonial mentality because if we really think about how our ancestors, particularly my ancestors ate food, why would they restrict? Right. Right. That, you know, that food was just food because their, their relationship with land was one of the most sacred things. So why would they experience shame, guilt, or depriva- any type of deprivation with food, right? Because everything was very sacred from this land. So this whole idea of, of, of perf- uh, performing with food, right, which is what diet culture is, because if you notice, why do people then take so many pictures of what they're eating when they're eating, quote unquote, healthy or vegan or plant-based or gluten-free or 
I don't know what else is out there um, mm-hmm. because it's very performative and that's very aligned with the European uh, culture. Wow. Right. So, yeah. So there, there was no dieting before contact. I mean, even even when when Columbus, one of his voyages out here, his men started dying. His men was, would die, were dying because I'm assuming not only because they didn't know how to you know grow in, in the land, but they would not eat the food that was available to them. Because, again, this very strong belief that you are what you eat. And in order for me to have the superior body, then I need to eat, col- you know, colonial food, my, my European food. So that is why I say that diet culture is a product of colonialism. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's it's it's that is really that takes it even deeper than um you know than I've than I've thought about it before or that I've you know like read about before and so I yeah and I think what's what's also interesting about that is like you mentioned them avoiding you know certain foods and yet there's a lot of like indigenous foods that are kind of really aligned to healthism today like if you think about like avocados or like quinoa like it's yeah that's just a whole other interesting co-opted layer to it yes i mean we were shamed for eating our foods but now when white culture wants it to be hip then it's okay yeah and it's another type of fuckery Uh, we're making these these same foods that we have been eating for thousands of years now not accessible to the original people who ate it (laughs) you know and this is you know, I, I've also noticed noticing that within these uh, cities are being gentrified, particularly here in Los Angeles. Then they, there comes these restaurants that are clean eating or vegan or I don't know what else. But in 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 in, in introducing diet culture even further within those communities, like nobody's talking about that. Mm-hmm. Nobody's talking about that, right? Um, so. I'm sorry. Can you say what what you mentioned? Well, no, I was just. I, well, yeah, I, I mean, I, it was it was uh, the way that you phrased it was better, which is the fuckery of of like co opting the foods, you know, taking these foods that were once you know really accessible and were part of indigenous diets, and now making them inaccessible to to because under the under the sort of umbrella of healthism, you know, that's what I mentioned. So you explained it really well, right? And I mean, now lately, it seems like the current craze is um nopales which is cactus which we've been eating for a very long time and we were shamed for eating that because it was considered poor people's food and now white people are coming in and you know just saying that it's the new power food and and whatnot and we were like what we've been eating this please stop <laughs> please yes stop. <laughs> oh yes i haven't heard of that one there's so many when you think about it, though. Like when you think about, I don't even know, like probably, a, you know, acai and like maca and like all those, you know, and I, and I know that these are coming from different, different countries and whatnot, but so many different, so many different ones can just kind of pop up. But they're, and, and they're so expensive and inaccessible. And, and there's also, for instance, sage. They're now saying to buy. Like the sage that you buy from stores, like here in California, they're on the verge of getting extinct because so many white people co-opted the use of of 
of smudge sticks and 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 so forth. I mean, it's just it's just horrible. It, like you come to the our lands, shame us for doing what we've been doing thousands of years. But when you think it's okay, then you flip it. You pretty much abuse the land mm-hmm. and then use it for your own profit. I mean, look at cannabis use. People of color have been using cannabis and selling it and dying for it. And then now if you look at who are the people at the forefront of the cannabis industry, it's white people. Yeah. And all the people of color are incarcerated for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So many, so much depth to it. I'd love to talk to you a little bit about like the relationship between or the influence of colonialism on body image, specifically for, for brown indigenous folks. You know, what was your experience with that? I know you earlier, you mentioned you had to unlearn to see, unlearn seeing yourself through a white lens. I'd love to just hear you talk a little bit more about it. So my parents immigrated here um, in the early 80s, and I was raised within the American culture, and everything that I saw around me obviously was mainly white white people, white white actors, and, and so forth. So like my, my experiences is, again, like the same as many of other brown girls is how you know, my mom once came with the brown or quote unquote Latina Barbie and I cried and I cried and I made her go back and return it for the white one. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I definitely, I really wanted to be white as a little girl. Like I, that, I just recall wanting my family to be very white, wanting to be, yeah. So again, that, 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 that is, um, uh, my, my own experience is very much like other girls of color right learning that the white that the ultimate standard of beauty and value is of of whiteness which I could never possess in my life right and with that also came being thin right so I I didn't grow up a chubby kid that didn't happen so um my preteen years but yes um this whole idea of how thin whiteness is very pure and very very um the most important thing to be right which again I, I could never be that and I and I do think that impacted my body image mm-hmm. right and my, my self-esteem I think I'm fortunate enough that I grew up in a predominantly brown and black school for for the beginning right and um that I I, I didn't experience further alienation in my, in my school but yeah um and the worst part is that, again, there is no language about this for young girls. Like, nobody was celebrating bl- brown girls. Yeah. And even today, no one's advocating for brown and black girls. Mm-hmm. Right? Even things are changing little by little in media, but not overall. Media continues to be white and thin. So I learned to see my body as something that needed to be compared with whiteness 24-7. Right. And I feel that that is part a product of colonialism, right? That we have no representation and we have nothing that celebrates our, our own selves or the messages, the, any message that I received that let me know that I was normal and that I was valuable. And to me, it's not so much about being beautiful because I think beautiful is tied into the white aesthetic at the end of the day, no matter how much we 
the body positive movement tries to reclaim it and reuse it and repurpose it, I, I still find that it always ends up being back to aligning with white supremacy. Yeah. Um, so to me, being beautiful is not a priority nowhere. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's cool if you have it. It's cool if I feel it, but it's not my priority. It's not it's not important to me. But yeah, and I mean, looking at like, I will never know my father's experiences with racism. He is a very dark skinned man, you know, and how that impacted his own self-esteem and how that impacted how the relations in the household. Right. Because the fact that my father and the men in his family are very um, sexist and very, very patriarchal, that was not a value in a lot of indigenous communities. And I get my indigenous ancestry from my father. So seeing his own, his own oppression as a man and then his fragility that he covers up as strength and as male superiority, right? And how that impacted me and my mother growing up in a home where there was domestic violence. There was, to this day, a lot of emotional abuse, right? How did that impact, how did colonialism play a role in, in, in our men, right? And, and, you know, so much more sexual violence in my family. If I recall reading that for many white men who would be kidnapped by indigenous people, they would write in their journals, like, they don't rape or beat their women here, right? I mean, just the even fact that they even had journals just shows <laughs> what kind of kidnapping indigenous people did, right? Yeah, but yeah. they write, like, this is re- like this is very strange. They don't beat or rape their women here, right? Just shows how for many indigenous tribes and many indigenous peoples, women were very sacred. But I never felt as a girl that I was sacred, ever. So this, that just shows one example of how colonialism, it, through the many angles of my life, like really, really injured me as a young girl and continues to injure me today, right? How the, the role of, of women has, has changed where from being the forefront and the center of family to being dirty and being um, seen as only baby makers and labor producers and, you know, yeah, so... That's one example, a few, one of the very few examples of how colonialism has impacted me. Yeah. Um, wow. I know in one of your, just before we wrap up here, one of, one of the pieces that you wrote for the, for National Eating Disorders, the nationaleatingdisorders.org website called Rejecting Colonialism and Reclaiming My Brown Identity, you wrote, the ongoing legacies of colonialism and racism make it too easy for us to forget who we are. And then you go on to say, reclaiming my identity as brown away from European terms has been a journey of finding not only autonomy, but healing. Can you just briefly talk about how that has aided in in your healing? Well, all my life I've been told that I'm Latina, you know, that that's, that's usually what I'm supposed to mark when writing, you know, the... the you know, any type of form. Right. But I just feel like we were never given the opportunity to define ourselves mm-hmm. ever. So how how are we going to love ourselves if we don't even know who we are? Because if you look, we look at the term Latino or Hispanic, those are your all aligning with your, being European. Right. So um, for me, being in this journey of finding who I am, because I, I still don't think I have the right identity for myself. I still don't think I have that. But this journey of, of, of reclaiming my autonomy just gives me much more of a sense of, of, 
of defining, that I get to define my body, right? That I'm in control of my body, that I don't get to be defined away by the government, that I don't get to be defined away by other people, although they read me as Latina, but that that's not how I identify. But for me, my own identity has been being, being brown, being a brown and being of indigenous descent, um, being a Chicana. Those are my identities. And I feel like that just gives me back a little of the power that I, it was taken away from me for, for generations, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, it's so well said. So thank you for thank you for sharing that. And, um, you know, I hope I hope that others have learned as much as I have from this episode. This has been like really, really deep and eye opening for me, for me coming from a white person perspective. And so I really want to thank you for the for your time here. And I would love you to just tell everyone where can they where they can uh, find more of you and and I'll be linking all of those things in the show notes as well. Yeah, so people can find me on Instagram on Nagona Positivity Pride. If they just put that all together, um, people can also find me on my Etsy store, Nagona Pride. Also, I have two upcoming uh, events, uh, one in San Diego, California, another one in Long Beach here in Los Angeles. Yeah, I think those are the best ways to get my information and know what I'm currently doing. And I'll link to your Patreon, too, in, in the show notes. And and I'll get that Amazon wishlist link from you, too, because I would love to contribute to that and share that for others who maybe want to do the same. But I think that, um, yeah, you, you are doing such incredible work. Uh, you're a voice that is obviously has been missing from the conversation. And I hope that your, your, know, your presence continues to grow and that, and that others continue to support everything that you're doing in a way that, that feels good for, for you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today, Gloria. Thank you. Rock on. I am continually humbled in the presence of individuals like Gloria and some of the other brilliant people that come on this show and that are doing such incredible work. I'm really grateful that I have this opportunity to learn from individuals like Gloria and others who have been on the show to talk about their perspectives on these really important issues. And I hope that you are learning with me and striving to do better as I always am. You can find all the links mentioned in this podcast at summerinandend.com forward slash 128. Support Gloria's work, become a Patreon. Let's do that together. And thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.